Uh, we're uh, in the middle of preaching through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, in our church, and that was a, a section of that, if you're not uh, familiar with that uh, part of the Bible or the Bible at all. Uh, we're uh, in what we're calling our kind of vision and commitment series. So we're thinking about our plans for the future and our commitments for the new year. And we're looking at uh, each week, looking at a different aspect. Uh, so you can see in the inside of the Connect card there, uh, today the, the big uh, kind of topic is uh, the joy that can be found in living out the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So that, that's what we're exploring today. Uh, I'm going to pray and, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you for the chance to get together this afternoon. Uh, we praise you uh, that so many people can uh, join with us this day. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. Uh, that it would uh, move us and uh, challenge us and, and strengthen us uh, to live lives uh, that are worthy of the gospel. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, now, perhaps uh, not all of us here are Australian citizens. I'm not sure. Uh, probably most of us are. Uh, so I've got a question, right? The question is, I wonder if you are living a life that is worthy of your Australian citizenship. It's not, a, not an interrogation, right? But just a little self-reflection moment. Right? Are you living a life that's worthy of your Australian citizenship? I think that's an interesting question uh, because the follow-up question is, isn't it, is uh, what does it actually mean to be a worthy Australian citizen? Uh, over the last 15 or 20 years, that, that's been a bit of a, a topic of debate in Australia, hasn't it? Periodically, our, our government, our society as a whole has engaged in debate about who should qualify for Australian citizenship. Uh, essentially, we've been asking, uh, what makes someone worthy of Australian citizenship? Right? Well, what do they have to know? What values should they have? How should they be committed to living their life? And on a political level, that's resulted uh, in us having an Australian citizenship test. Right, So uh, now, uh, before you can become an Australian citizen, uh, amongst other things, you have to pass that test, right? because you really got to know that Don Bradman averaged 99.94, right? No, I'm joking, that's a joke. Uh, um, uh, right, But it's not just at a political level, uh, it's also the, at the Australian public, I think, to some extent. Uh, the Australian public thinks there are certain ways in which Australians should live and act, and certain ways in which they shouldn't, right? certain ways that are just, well, they're, they're just kind of un-Australian. Uh, for example, uh, I don't know if uh, you guys remember uh, the name Sally Robbins. Everyone remembers that. Uh, uh, Sally Robbins was an Australian rower at the Athens Olympics back in 2004. She was in the, the women's eights rowing team. Uh, they got through the gold medal final. Uh, and if you don't remember the race, uh, with around 650 metres to go, Australia was in front. You know, they headed for the, the gold medal, lifetime of dreams about to come through. And then seemingly without any explanation or any warning, Sally Robbins just stopped rowing. Uh, she lay back in the boat and Australia went from first to last. Uh, in the days following that, Robbins copped it from the Australian media. Imagine Sydney's uh, Daily Telegraph uh, uh, said Robbins has committed the greatest crime there is in honest sport. She quit. Uh, the Australian dubbed her Lay Down Sally. A uh, former Olympian, Jane Fleming, said if there's no uh, physiological uh, reason why Sally Robbins gave up in the women's eight rowing final, then I'm outraged. Australia's international reputation is that we never give up. And the great Cathy Freeman, right, she summed it all up by saying from a distance to give up it is just plain un-Australian. But it seems that at least some Australians think there are certain qualities someone should have to be considered worthy of Australian citizenship. And if they don't have those qualities, whatever they are, they're just, well, they're un-Australian. 
likewise, in the the passage we're looking at today, Paul starts, if you look at the passage, in verse 27, he says to these Christians in Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word conduct yourselves uh, picks up this idea of citizenship, living out your citizenship. So so actually, literally what Paul's saying is, whatever happens, uh, you've got to live out your citizenship in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, that, that, that might be a bit unclear. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, uh, perhaps a little bit of background is useful. Right? Philippi uh, is, a, is a proud uh, colony of, of the great Roman Empire. Right? So all the citizens of Philippi, including these Christians Paul's writing to, uh, would have seen it as a real badge of honour. They would have boasted about the fact that they were citizens of the Roman Empire. Right? So what's Paul doing here? He's reminding these Christians, these proud Roman citizens, that yes, they're citizens of the great Roman Empire. You know, whoopee-doo. Wonderful. But most importantly, as Christians, they're citizens of the kingdom of God. They're citizens of heaven. Because when you become a Christian, it's like your primary place of residence changes. But this world's no longer your home. You're just passing through to your true home, your ultimate home, which is in heaven with Christ. We saw that last week where Paul said, I want to depart and be with Christ because that's better by far. That's his home. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, God's reminding you uh, that you might well be proud to be a citizen of Australia or some other country, that that's okay. Uh, You might be concerned uh, about what makes someone worthy of Australian citizenship. You're really down on someone like Sally Robbins. And on one level, that's fine, as long as it doesn't distract you from the main game. Never forget the fact that as a Christian, you're primarily a citizen of heaven through the gospel of Christ. So whatever happens, your primary calling is to conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of your heavenly citizenship, not just your Australian citizenship. So what does that look like? What does a worthy citizen of heaven look like? Uh, today's passage gives us one big answer. It says we can live as worthy citizens of heaven by giving of ourselves for the sake of others. Well, that's a big idea. If you remember nothing else today, that's the idea. You can live as worthy citizens of heaven by giving of ourselves for the sake of others. And that's why in the first 11 verses uh, of, the, of chapter 2 there, uh, Paul points us to the ultimate citizen of heaven. Right, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who literally came down from heaven. Right, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Uh, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, this is a great passage, lots of theology, lots of doctrine, but Paul's addressing a practical issue. What does worthy citizenship of heaven look like? And he says to these Christians in Philippi, if you claim to be Christians, notice the language, if you claim to be united with Christ, if you claim to have experienced his love, if, you, if you're filled with his spirit, if you've experienced his compassion, his tenderness, if you claim to have experienced those things, you say, I'm a Christian, then you should not be selfish or proud or conceited. 
You should not be. That's hypocrisy. If you call yourself a Christian, a citizen of heaven, you have to imitate Christ, Paul says, the ultimate citizen of heaven. Who in verse 3 was not proud but was humble. In verse 4, he looked to the interests of others, not to his own interests. In verse 5, Paul says, uh, he displays the attitude and mindset we should follow, we should imitate. And in verse 6, he explains that Christ uh, is God himself, sharing in the very nature of God. He had equality with God. But notice what Paul says. Christ did not consider his equality with God something to be used or literally to be held onto, to be grasped, hold, clung to for his own advantage. By Christ, the eternal Son of God, it's not like he kicked back in heaven, uh, enjoying his position of power and glory at our expense. That's what Paul's saying. He didn't cling to it. He didn't grasp it. No, in his great love, Paul says, his incredible humility, Christ is willing to make himself nothing, not just by taking on all the limitations of becoming a human being, but by becoming a servant, a slave, who was willing to be humiliated and rejected and betrayed and killed on a cross. And you see Paul's points. Why did Christ do all that? Not for his own sake but for us, people like us. So that through trusting in him, we could be forgiven of our sins. Uh, One of the ways the Bible describes sin is in terms of accounting language. So we have this debt that we owe God. Uh, Every time we sin, this debt just keeps accumulating. It's like me, I I did a bunch of studies at university. I've got this hex debt. Fortunately, I'll probably never earn enough to have to pay it off. But, uh, you know, I've got this debt. You know, someone's paying it. Anyway, uh, so I've got this massive debt uh, that by rights I should pay. And that's like us and God. We we, we sin, this debt accumulates. uh, By rights, if it was just, we should pay that debt. Uh, But here Paul's saying that in this incredible act of selfless love, this radical generosity... Christ is willing to pay the debt for us in our place on the cross. So if we trust in him, we can be set free from God's judgment, set free from every debt we owe and completely forgiven of our sins. So Christ, the ultimate citizen of heaven, obviously gave of himself for others in the most radical and costly way possible. Uh, So if you're a Christian, if you want to live this life worthy of uh, of your heavenly citizenship... Uh, you're called to follow his example. You're called to live this life where you really give of yourself for the sake of others. And that means not just giving of yourself in easy or comfortable or convenient ways, but in radical and costly ways, in ways where you actually feel it. Of course, Paul doesn't just point us to Christ, does he? That's that end part of the passage, verses 19 to 30. He points us to Timothy and Epaphroditus. And on one level, that just seems like Paul's travel diary. Well, that's nice, you know, telling us what's going on. Uh, But actually, these are two Christian men uh, who Paul's uh, holding up before us as worthy citizens of heaven. So look, in verse 19, he says he wants to send Timothy to visit the Philippians uh, on one level so he can find out how they're doing. Uh, But also, notice how he describes Timothy. Verse 20 uh, 20 and 21. Timothy is someone who will be genuinely concerned, uh, not about himself, but about the welfare of the Philippians, you see. He's got it. He's been set free from being so self-centred. He's actually concerned about other people, the welfare of the Philippians. Paul says that's rare. You need to meet this guy, Timothy. Timothy's an example of a worthy citizen of heaven, someone who wants to give of himself for the sake of others. The same with Epaphroditus. 
funny, if you read the rest of the letter, you know that Paul's writing this letter from a prison in Rome. Uh, So in verse 25, uh, we're told that the Philippians who love Paul, they care for him, but they can't all kind of as a church go over to Rome, so they send Epaphroditus over there to care for Paul while he's in prison. And verses 26 to 30 tell us that in the process of journeying to Rome and tracking Paul down and caring for him, Epaphroditus becomes so ill that he nearly dies. You see, Epaphroditus, he's just a humble Christian man, isn't he? Not particularly famous. I bet uh, not many people here have, have thought much about Epaphroditus ever. But what does Paul say? He says the Philippians should honour men like him because he's a worthy citizen of heaven. Right? He's someone who is willing to, to give of himself in a radical and costly way, nearly dying for Paul's sake. Uh, it reminds me of a story from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. It's a story about uh, heaven and hell, these great realities. Uh, and in the book, uh, a woman is arriving in heaven one day uh, and there's all sorts of pomp and, and ceremony. Right? There's a massive procession down the street, people lining the streets, think to kind of ticket tape parade, music, dancing, singing. And one of the onlookers, who, who's pretty new, uh, says, uh, who's this? Right? She, she's obviously very important. Who is it? And uh, the answer is, well, you've never, you would have never heard of her. Right? Her, her name's uh, Sarah Smith from Golders Grove. And then they say, uh, you have heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two very different things. And he goes on to explain how Sarah Smith had just lived a quiet and humble life where she'd loved and served and gave of herself for the sake of everyone she came in contact with. If you're a Christian... Paul's saying, look to Christ, look to Timothy, look to Epaphroditus, look to Sarah Smith of Golders Grove. I'd follow their example of living as worthy citizens of heaven because they gave of themselves for the sake of others. And Paul's encouragement in this passage is if we do this, it'll make a massive difference to how effective our mission is. People will actually be much more likely to take the message that we're speaking seriously. But he, that's what he's talking about in verses 12 to 18. He encourages the Philippians that if they live as worthy citizens of heaven, they will shine like stars. You see that language? That's a picture. That they'll stand out. They'll be attractive, beautiful in a world that is dark. So in verses 12 and 13, Paul basically recaps what he said back in chapter 1, verse 27. He tells the Philippians, keep working at your salvation. But he's saying with God's help, keep working out what it looks like to live out the gospel, like to live as worthy citizens of heaven in your place, in your context. Right? And then in verse 14, uh, he gives his main command. And it's a bit weird. Isn't it his main command? He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like it's probably not my go-to kind of thing, but that's his, that's his main command. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Right? Why that command for these Christians? Oh, well, let me ask, what, what kind of person uh, do you think is always grumbling and arguing? I know that I tend to grumble and argue when I want things to be done my way and they're not being. Oh, when I'm looking to my own interests, my own preferences, when things aren't neatly tailored around my needs. So the challenge here is that people who spend most of their time grumbling and arguing in the church in Philippi, in our church, in me, are not living as worthy citizens of heaven. Why? 
Well, because generally speaking, they're focused on themselves. On their interests, not the interests of others. They're, they're focused on what they can get rather than what they can give. And Paul says that that's not, that's not fitting for people who claim to be Christians. Well, on the flip side, in verse 13, uh, 15, Paul says, if the Philippians don't grumble and argue, but instead kind of give of themselves for the sake of others, worthy citizens, they'll be pure and blameless, they will shine like stars in the darkness of this world. So I've got kind of three big applications out of this passage. Uh, the first is that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I think if you, if you take this passage to heart, If you trust this day uh, in Christ's great act of selfless love for your sins on the cross, over time it will completely revolutionise your life. Confident of that. I say that because at the very heart of all of our sin uh, is self-centredness. The sin that Christ died to set us free from. It's not just breaking rules, it's, it's this deep self-centeredness that we have, this desire we all naturally have that, that life should really revolve around us and what we want, uh, not around others and what they want, and certainly not around God and what he wants. Well, this is not something we have to teach people, it's there naturally, like my, my son's first word was mine, well, one of his first words, right? Like we don't have to teach that. He's, he's, you know, I've said before in my sermons, like there's lovely little books, little set of books, kind of like uh, listening, taking turns and sharing, right? Like I, I, we don't have the set of books that says be selfish, look after your own interests. Like we, we don't need to teach kids that because that comes naturally, right? This is what we're all like. And that's what Christ died on the cross to set us free from. So when you become a Christian, when, you're, when your heart's kind of gripped by Christ's act of selfless love for you, when you're assured of his love for you, uh, you actually want to be like him. So over time, your selfish heart uh, becomes uh, gradually more selfless. Your hands that, that wanted to, to get will increasingly want to give. And so you'll shine like a star. You actually stand out as being attractive and beautiful in a world that is fundamentally self-centred where most people can't walk into a room and not be thinking about themselves all the time. That's what we're like, isn't it? I wonder what these people think of me. Will they approve of me? What about my dress? What do I look like? Right? Like We're consumed with ourselves. The Christian gospel sets you free from that. It's incredible. That's the first thing. Uh, so the second thing is, if you're here today and you're already a Christian, uh, I think if you take this to heart, it has the potential to revolutionise how you think about church. Right, I've just said that the world we live in is fundamentally selfish. That's the part of the darkness of it that Paul's talking about. Uh, we're constantly told that life is all about us. Look after number one. And the sad thing is that that kind of attitude seeps into the church. So coming to church, being a part of the church, becomes not, such about, not so much about what you can give, but about what you can get. You see, this way, if you're not... Uh, if you're kind of a, a church consumer who's not getting what you want, uh, your interests aren't being met, your boxes aren't being ticked, uh, you can grumble and complain. I've done that. Right? Just like some here in Philippi were doing. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to get something out of church. Right? We want to be hearing from God's word. We want to be growing in our faith. We want to be encouraged by meeting with God's people. Uh, we, want to, we do want to get something out of church. And if we're not getting something out of church, it's completely fine to have a gracious conversation about it. Let's sit down and talk about that. But of course, we completely miss the point if we start thinking that church is 
all about us. If we start thinking that church is all about what we can get rather than what we can give. That's like as a community of people who claim to be following Christ, the, the ultimate citizen of heaven, the one who gave of himself for our sake in, in radical and costly ways. But if we claim to be following him, uh, we have to be a community where the focus is on others, where the focus is on, on how we can give of ourselves for their sake. And as I said earlier, not just in easy or comfortable or convenient ways, but in ways where we feel a cost, right? Because Christ felt a cost, didn't he? You know, I could do that for that person, but it, it, it inconvenienced me. I'm tipping it was a bit inconvenient for Christ. You know? And I think the more we do that, the more people in our community will be likely to take the message seriously, right? Because our lives will actually match up with the message we're preaching. And that's what it was like when I was growing up in the church. Uh, there, was, uh, there were certain people who shone like stars. They really stood out uh, because they didn't just talk about the fact that Christ gave of himself for them. They actually lived it. I could see them giving of themselves for the sake of others. One, one guy that I remember uh, was a guy named Vern. Uh, he ran the, the youth group at the church uh, I was in growing up. Uh, so, uh, yep, typically he had me and the other young people over to his house uh, we'd watch movies, uh, we'd play games, we'd eat uh, way too much junk food, as you do in, in youth groups kind of thing. But it wasn't just that. Right? Um, often, Vern would pick me up and take me along to church for music practice. Uh, he'd seek me out after church to talk to me, to encourage me, to ask me questions about my faith, uh, to see if there were things about Christianity that I, that I wasn't understanding. You see, Vern, in, in his simple ways, not kind of extravagant, not going to the other side of the world as a missionary, but in simple ways, uh, he gave of himself for my sake. And that was not always easy or comfortable or convenient. And I have to say it's one of the main reasons why I owned my faith for myself, why I became a Christian. His life just matched up in, in a really attractive way with the message he was speaking. So we can't preach about a saviour who is willing to give up everything and live lives where we're prepared to give up little. Where we're prepared to get uh, to give up just what we can spare, what's convenient, what doesn't cost us. That doesn't kind of fit with the message that we're proclaiming. If we want lots of people to, to, see, uh, to become Christians in our community, they have to see us living as worthy citizens of heaven, willing to give of ourselves for their sake. And for those of you who are regulars, I'm certainly not saying that's not happening at all. Right? I've come with the stick, right? Uh, but uh, it's not. I can see it happening all over the place. But I see it in the team uh, that turns up every Wednesday morning to run mainly music, right? to selflessly serve the mums and dads in our community by providing this welcoming space where mums and dads can explore music and dance and ultimately the gospel with their kids. It's a wonderful thing. I see it in the people who are on what we call our DPC food bank, so sometimes these people, at a moment's notice, when it's really not that convenient, are willing to serve other people by cooking meals for them. It's a wonderful thing, giving of themselves for the sake of others. I see it in the people. This is a personal one. Uh, the people, I don't, I don't drive anymore. So I see it in the people uh, who are willing to give me a lift. I, I know that that's not always convenient. I know when I say, can you pick me up on the way? It's not really on the way. Like, you know that. Look. But you give me a lift anyway. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. 
I see it in the people who are planning carols in the park for a month or so's time, giving countless hours, lots of energy, uh, for the sake of connecting with people in our community, showing them that we care, communicating the good news about Christ with them. There are lots of ways, lots of, lots of ways in which people in our church are living as worthy citizens of heaven. I really do see that. And I'm praying that we would do it all the more. Right? Particularly uh, in ways that are visible and tangible to our community. And that we might see more and more people coming to know Christ. So I started by getting you to think about what it means to be a worthy citizen of Australia. I hope you're convinced that if you're a Christian, the much more important question is what does it mean to live a life that's worthy of my heavenly citizenship? What does that look like? What we've seen in this passage is that worthy citizens of heaven are people who've been so transformed by the selfless giving of Christ on the cross that they're willing to give of themselves for the sake of others. And they're not just doing. I mean, it's interesting, you know. Like, there's sometimes I, I grew up in church and in youth groups, and 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 the bunch of people uh, who'll be like, yeah, yeah, you know, one day I'm going to give give my life for Christ. You know, I'm going to go to the other side of the world and be the save the world missionary. But in everyday life, they were thoroughly self-absorbed. That's what we're like, isn't it? Sometimes we're, we're waiting for the big flashy show of self-giving. But when it comes to who's going to take out the rubbish, or who's going to cook a meal for that person, or who's going to talk to that person on the fringes of church, or who's going to roll up their sleeves and do the letterbox drop. It's like, well, that's not really convenient. Worthy citizens of heaven are those who have been so transformed by the the radical generosity of Christ, his self-giving on the cross, that they're willing to give of themselves for the sake of others. I pray that would be increasingly true of us. Let me pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, For those of us here who aren't yet uh, citizens of your kingdom, who haven't uh, trusted in in the death of Christ on the cross, I pray that uh, those people would do that today. Uh, That they would be blown away by the fact that Christ was willing to give of himself for their sake, to, to set them free of their sins. And I pray for those of us here who are already uh, citizens of your kingdom, citizens of heaven. I pray that uh, we would think deeply about what it means for us to live out our citizenship in a worthy way, particularly that we would humbly give of ourselves for the sake of others, uh, not just in easy ways, uh, but in ways that are radical and costly. Uh, For the glory of our Lord Jesus, uh, in his name we pray. Amen.